Yes, in this moment, would you surrender your hearts before him? Will you praise him in person or at home? This is an opportunity to meet with him, to encounter his presence. Let us praise him. Yes, church. Let praise be a weapon that silences the enemy. Let praise be a weapon that conquers all anxiety. Let it rise. Let praise arise. That's what we came to do. We sing your name in the dark and it changes everything. We sing with all we are and we claim your victory. Let it rise, let praise arise. We lift it up, we'll see you break down every wall. Watch the giants fall. We cannot survive when we praise you. The God of breakthroughs on our side, forever lift him high. With all creation cry, God, we praise you.
Church, would you be seated as we prepare to receive communion together? And you'll find on your seat or the seat next to you a, a, a little communion kit. It looks like this. It's kind of a two-part thing. If you're unfamiliar, you, you peel back the top part of it, and, and then you'll find the bread there. And then there's a, a second sort of a lid that you peel back the foil. And underneath that, you'll find the juice. I'm reminded that on the night when Jesus first gave this holy communion to his disciples, there were a lot of things to be anxious and worried about. A lot of things in the government, a lot of things in the culture, a lot of things going on in the temple, a lot of families struggling. A lot of things to be anxious about. And, and into that moment, Jesus gives us this holy communion to remind us to lift our eyes up to eternity, to know that the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, will have the last word. And we need not fear any words offered in the meantime. Because when all is said and done, Jesus is king. His grace 
has the last word in your life. So the Lord Jesus gathered his own and he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. He said, receive it, take it, and eat it in remembrance of me. Let's do that together. Lord, we thank you that what you have done for us on the cross is permanent. It's forever. You said from that cross it is finished. Your word says again and again in Hebrews that what you did, you did once for all. And we receive this morning your grace, fresh and new. We receive your peace. We receive the faith that is an anchor for our souls. Scripture says afterwards that he lifted up the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. What I have done for you is not just for the past or the present. It's forever. It's for your future. I hold your future in my grace. I said, I want you to know that. I want you to rest in that. So he said, take this cup and drink it in remembrance of me. Let's do that together. Lord, we receive that peace that passes understanding. You said heaven and earth will all pass away, but your words won't pass away. You said that we should rest in knowing that nothing can ever separate us from your grip. And we receive that peace this morning from your hand in Jesus' name. Church, would you stand with me and let us, because he has secured our past, our present, our future, let us surrender all those other things and our hearts to him as we sing, I surrender all. Jesus, I surrender all to Him. I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily. I surrender all. Yes, can we tell Him, church? Sing all to Jesus. All 
from our lips. Father, we thank you for the freedom that is found in your presence. We thank you that a breakthrough is possible in your presence. We thank you that a miracle is possible in your presence. And we believe that there is true freedom found in surrender. So Father, in this moment, we surrender our everything to you. Not just in part, but the whole. Not just a part of our hearts, but our whole being, our whole heart, our whole love before you, God. Father, would you speak to us in this moment today? It is a very unique and special thing that happens when we commune with you together as unity, as family, as church. These Sunday mornings, so God, would you prepare our hearts to receive today's message as we dive deeper into your word, whether we are here gathered in person or at home. Let you be glorified in the midst. So, Father, we lift up the name, in the name above every other name, the name of Jesus in this place. We glorify you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church. Well, welcome to second service here at MRCC. Would you turn to those around you, make them feel like family, make them feel welcome in the house of the Lord today. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to second service here at MRCC. It is great to be with you. Doesn't it, doesn't it feel good? There's, a, there's, a, there's a, a spiritual thing that happens when we sing, I surrender all. I mean, I, I, wow, yeah. God meets us. and We're actually going to talk about how he meets us in worship in a little bit, but it's great to be with you. It is a good day. It is the most blessed of days. My wife will be home this afternoon, so... Feeling really good about that. Um, but I, I do have to let us know something to continue to pray about. Actually, um, only half our missions team is making it home this afternoon. So long story short, they got actually to the boarding gate and um, one of the male members of our team, uh, he was still positive and he had an exemption that was given, blah, blah, blah. But the Uganda government said, no, nope, we're just not going to do that. It's no good. And so... He had to go back to the hotel, try again in 48 hours, uh, and so we're still praying. Now, uh, another member of the team stayed with him, so Larry and Brent uh, are still in the hotel there in Entebbe. I hope that you will continue to lift them up again. He gets to try tomorrow night and um, could conceivably be on the flight tomorrow. It's only a matter of time, but um, his family's eager for him to be home. Now, I have to be perfectly honest. If we brought home Larry and Brent or Rhonda and Charlie, I'll take Rhonda and Charlie every time. <laughs> I let them know that, but uh, no, uh, in all seriousness, um, please continue to pray for them. They're good. Their faith is strong, but, uh, you know, it's kind of no, no good just hanging out endlessly in hotels, so um, we're looking for them to be home. Um, hey, bunch of things uh, to celebrate and be grateful for this morning. Uh, huge appreciation to everybody who came out yesterday and helped us take down the Christmas lights from our display this year. I have to tell you, this year we set another record. Every light on the campus was taken down, packed, put away, in order to be set up next year, and that entire display came down in 83 minutes flat. <laughs> Can we just appreciate the team? Can we just thank everybody who did that? 
huge appreciation, you know, jumping on roofs, climbing trees, doing all that kind of stuff. So thank you to everybody uh, who, who made that happen. Really appreciate that. Um, and then as well, a couple of quick announcements. Uh, next week uh, will be water baptism in all three of our worship services. So if you have received Jesus as your Savior, but you have never been publicly baptized. He calls us to follow him. The, we believe privately and then we confess that faith publicly and that's what water baptism is. And so if you've taken that step and haven't been baptized, I want to invite you to be a part of next week's baptismal services. You can just call the office, stop by the guest center, scan the code on the seat in front of you, contact us online, however way you want to reach out and just let us know and we will plan to include you in those baptismals next weekend. Uh, parents always are curious, how do I know when my child is ready to be baptized? You want to make sure they understand what they're doing that they are publicly confessing their faith in Jesus. And different kids are ready to do that at different ages. So take a good hard look at that. You want to make sure that they know what they're doing. Uh, if you want a little help with that, Pastor Allison would be thrilled to sit with you, talk with you and your child to see if they're ready for that step yet. But uh, water baptisms next week, um, sign up and we'll include you as well. Sisters of Strength Ladies Dinner uh, is tomorrow night. Small groups are kicking off this week. Uh, our, our, our youth team took 71 teenagers up into the mountains Friday. And uh, we're just getting bombarded with texts that God is doing great things up there in the middle of that service. So really neat. Uh, and we're really grateful for that. They will be home tomorrow afternoon. Thank you to everyone who's praying, who gave to scholarship kids, those of uh, us who went on trips as well. We appreciate it. Um, a couple of things that I want to take a moment to say to us before we open God's word this morning. And one of them is I want to speak especially to all of us who are online in the live stream. You know, just about every week, uh, somebody writes me or calls me uh, and says, hey, Pastor Greg, um, you know, with everything that's going on, we're, we're worried about the health of people in our home or ourselves or our kids, our grandparents or whatever. And so we're not there um, right now, Pastor Greg, but we're going to be back. We're watching online. And then here's the thing. So many of you have said, would you please forgive me? <laughs> please know there's no forgiveness necessary. You are us. We will wait for you. When you make it back, we'll be thrilled. But we totally understand. So we don't want you to feel kind of that uh, whatever it is. Uh, please don't feel the need to say I'm sorry or anything like that. Or even wonder whether we understand because we do. Uh, so please rest in that. And, and on that note as well, church, I want to say to all of us... Um, this week, uh, Pastor Allison and I went to a, a pastor's conference in Renton. It's a, a network thing within the Assemblies of God that we were asked to go to. It's, there's a thing called the Large Church Network. If your church is 500 or more, there's about 35 churches that go to this meeting once a year. And um, so we went up to, to hear about everything, and, and I was really overcome. I got kind of emotional because as we sat together in that room and listened to people share there was so much pain and hurt uh, in that room um, because of the kinds of division that have happened in churches through this tough season. My heart was broken. I, I, I did not know that the hurt was that big and that deep, and it really came through. And Pastor Alice and I looked at each other, and we thought, wow. You know, we are so blessed. I, I, I want to thank us. I want to thank you as a church because a million times you have said, you know what? These lesser things are not going to divide us. We're going to keep the focus on the gospel, on the kingdom, on the Lord Jesus. We're going to understand that as believers we can disagree about some things. And you have made that choice again and again and again and again. And as a consequence, we don't have those kinds of hurts and pains. There were a lot of tears in that room. And um, thank you for again and again making that hard choice. It's not an easy one. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. But again and again, you've made it. And it, it, we walked out of there going, we have a lot, a lot to be thankful for as a church. So, so bless you for that. We appreciate that. Okay, let's open God's Word together. Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. That's where we are. You remember we said that this spring we're going to take a deep dive into God's Word. We are going to really 
grow up into an expository series all the way through the book of Romans. If you're not in the habit of bringing your Bible, I want to invite you to get in that habit this spring. Uh, the scripture says the Holy Spirit is your teacher when you have the scriptures in front of you, whether it's on your phone or your iPad or your old-fashioned book, whatever it is, when you have the scriptures in front of you, the Holy Spirit use that. He'll speak to you, and, 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 and throughout this spring, that'll be the case. We're in Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. We started last week, and we're going to move down through verse 32 this morning. And, 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 and let me begin, friends, by asking you, oh, I'm sorry, I wanted to thank you for one other thing this morning before we jump in there, and that is that even though I told you not to, a bunch of you brought food to my house. <laughs> thank you for that. I thought to myself, well, that shows how much authority I really have around here. I tell them not to do it, they do it anyway. Uh, but thank you for those blessings, and... Um, you know, I, uh, I know my wife deeply appreciates it because when she texts me, she said, now, what did you eat today? So um, thank you to those of you who did that. I appreciate it. Uh, so let me begin by asking us a question this morning. It's a personal question. All right, brace yourself, okay? When the rubber meets the road, how honest are you? This is between you and you, you and God. This is just in your own heart. But how honest are you? How, how committed to telling the truth? How determined to tell the truth? Are you willing to, to tell it when it's hard? Or would you say, you know what? I, I try to avoid that. <laughs> I try to skim around that. And, and the flip side of that is, how willing are you to hear the truth when it's unwelcome and it's uncomfortable? Honesty is not just telling the truth. It's being willing to hear it. Sometimes when I don't want to. You know, if, if, if on a scale of 1 to 10 you had to say, how honest are you, what, what would you say? Honesty, I think we would all agree, isn't always easy. In fact, a lot of times it's hard. Probably you have noticed that when it comes to honesty, kids in general tend to be better at it than we do. I came across a kindergartner teacher's forum, and there was a part of it where they had, uh, the teachers were all sharing things they'd heard kindergartners say, honest things they'd heard kindergartners say to each other. And I thought I'd, I'd share a few of those with you. For example, one teacher overheard this, teacher, you know that show, What Not to Wear? I think your dress could be on it. <laughs> you know, she's just speaking the truth, five-year-old, right? Miss Jenny. I think your legs are even whiter today than yesterday. <laughs> right? You're just kids telling the truth. The teacher said, Ugh, I think I ate too much today. Little boy in the front row said, Teacher, it's not just today. <laughs> kids are honest. How about this one? Miss Madison, you're the prettiest lady I ever saw. Well, maybe just today. <laughs> Hedging his bet a little bit. How about this one? She said, Miss Kelly, are you wearing makeup today? No, honey, I'm not. Well, maybe you should be. <laughs> Kids, right? They're honest. The little girl said, Mom, as she was coming into class being dropped off, she said, Mom, you need to fix my hair. Her brother said, No, she doesn't. You don't have to look pretty all the time. Just look at Mom. She's good. <laughs> one five-year-old said to another at recess, your face looks cuter than mine, but man, does your breath stink. How's <laughs> that for honest, right? Just telling the truth. One more little girl in the lunch line, the kindergartner, was overheard saying, I am one hot mama. <laughs> and the little boy next to her didn't miss a beat. He looked at her and said, you're one hot mess, if you ask me. <laughs> Kids, they just... They're honest, right? They just tell it like it is. And, and I share that with us this morning again because we, we need to understand something about our Father God. Honesty is incredibly important to Him. Incredibly important to Him. My honesty, your honesty matters a lot. We're going to talk about that this morning. And that doesn't mean that there isn't a time to lie. If you're hiding a a Rohingya or a Ouija or a Christian missionary on your, in your basement, lie your face off. But behind and beneath that, there needs to be a deep and fundamental honesty, especially about ourselves, 
especially about our relationship to God. You know, the scripture minces no words. The Bible tells us that dishonesty is a horrible, wicked sin that separates people from heaven for eternity. Uh, Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, describing heaven, here's what God's word says. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake. This is the second death. Now, it's, it's talking about those kinds of lies that haven't been confessed, that aren't covered by grace, but it's a stark warning. And if you know your Bible, you know this isn't the only time God warns us about that. There's that incredible moment in Acts chapter 5 that describes a church service in the early church when a couple came up and they, they simply told a white lie about their offering. And because of that white lie designed to make them look more spiritual than they were, because of that white lie, our Bible tells us God struck them dead right in the middle of the service. Why? Because their offering was no good? No, God doesn't need our offerings. Our offering is what we give out of uh, the, the free will of our own hearts. No, no, no. It was because of the lie about it. And this morning, God wants to talk to us about how important honesty is, and especially our honesty about ourselves and God. You know, if somebody comes along and tells your kids that drugs aren't dangerous, you're upset about it. In the same way, God's upset when we deceive ourselves and each other about the dangers of dishonesty. And remember we said that when Paul writes to the Romans, he's writing to a church that he had never visited, so he lays out the gospel from A to Z. In verse 18, he begins. He begins with that foundation. Let's listen to what he says, because what he's going to talk about is honesty. Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 18, the Bible says this, the wrath of God, some people say God's not angry, baloney. You're a liar. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. Now catch this though against all the godlessness and wickedness of men, of people, underline this, who suppress the truth. See, that's, they're dishonest. The godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. He's made it plain to everyone. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature, that is his heart, his goodness, and his transcendent power, have been clearly seen by everyone, being understood from what has been made so that men, people, are without excuse. Now, let's just pause for a second and take this in. What's the apostle saying? He's saying, first of all, God's angry. But what he's angry about is dishonesty, people who suppress the truth. That's a big deal. When we pretend something isn't true that is or is true that isn't, we fall into this category. Jesus' favorite saying, you know, everybody has favorite sayings. Jesus' favorite one over 80 times in the gospel was this, I tell you the truth. <laughs> in other words, when you hear from me, you're hearing the straight scoop I'm telling you the truth. And he went so far as at the end of his ministries, he got ready to go to the cross. He said to his disciples, John chapter 14, I am the truth. <laughs> That's a big deal. Sometimes we think truth is just a series of propositional statements, one, two, three, four, five, and it includes those, but ultimately the truth is a person. It's the son of God. I am the truth. Why? Because honesty matters so much to God. The devil's strategy is always deception, lies, and misinformation. Jesus said that's what he's about from the very beginning in Genesis through the Gospels and right to the end. He's all about lies, misdirection, misinformation. Most specifically, what he does is quote God out of context. This is a big deal. What does the devil do when he tempts Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4? He comes to him two times quoting the Bible out of context grabbing one or two scriptures and separating them from all the rest, pulling them out of their contest, and thereby making them seem to say something they're not. And he's still doing that to this day. He's seeking to do that in your life. He's aiming to do that in my life. To understand, in light of his tactics, that 
God loves honesty is to begin to experience the gospel. You know, many people today, even many so-called spiritual leaders, use scripture to pursue their own agendas. They slap God, Jesus, or Christian faith on their wickedness and rebellion like a bumper sticker on a pickup. And the result is they lie about God. I remember walking out of my house when we pastored in Coeur d'Alene and glancing over to the next driveway down the road there and, and there was a, a vehicle parked in the driveway and it had a bumper sticker that said, remember, you know the bumper sticker, what would Jesus do? This bumper sticker said, what would Jesus bomb? And all of a sudden I understood that this person was hearing a message from whoever that wasn't the truth about God. And when those kinds of messages are propagated, it makes him angry. How do you feel when you're personally lied about? Think about that for a moment. Somebody posts something on social media, says something about you in the workplace, and it's not true. You're, you're upset. You're, that's not true, and you're angry about it. The Scripture says that's what's at the root of God's wrath. It's not just our sins. He can deal with our sins. He sends his son to the cross. He conquers our sins. But our dishonesty keeps us from being able to receive what he does on the cross. And so his anger is at that. Think of you as a parent. Sometimes your kids act up and it's not okay, but you know you can handle that. You can get through that if they're honest about it. If they're willing to say, I was wrong. If they're willing to say, I sinned. In the same way, God is a father. That's what he seeks in our lives. That's a beautiful thing. And notice what Paul says. He says, men pretend they don't know he's there. Everybody knows Everybody knows God is there. There are no atheists in foxholes. And when somebody tells you they don't know that, they're lying. That's Paul's whole point in those opening verses. He says, hey, everybody knows. God has made himself self-evident through creation. Everybody knows it. The question is whether we'll be honest enough to admit it to ourselves and to admit it to each other. Hey, I know what I'm talking about. I was guilty of it. When I was in the service before Christ became my Savior, my dog tags were stamped atheist, and I'd argue with you anywhere, anytime, anyplace. But in my quiet, private moments, all alone by myself, I knew better. I just wasn't going to admit it. And because I wasn't willing to admit it, I was being dishonest. Eventually came that moment where God helped me to be honest. But the Bible is at pains to point out to us that we all know the question is, are we honest enough to respond? Since the creation of the world, God's eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood by all men from what has been made. God, in other words, is self-evident. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. But you must understand what the word fool means biblically. It doesn't mean the dumb person. It doesn't mean the ignorant person. It doesn't mean the person who hasn't heard something. Fool is a moral word. It speaks of their wickedness. It speaks of their dishonesty. The fool, the person who's dishonest, says in his heart, there is no God. See, friends, what we want to understand is that the gospel is a test of my honesty. What may be known about God is plain because God has made it plain. Now, we can get all kinds of technical about this, and I'm happy to do that. I love doing that. The five classical proofs for the existence of God, the argument from design, the moral law argument. We can get into all that kind of stuff, but behind and beneath it, God says, you know. Everybody knows. The question is whether we'll be honest enough to admit it. To put this in other way, this is important for us as growing Christians to understand, is that Christian faith is not a mystical leap in the dark. It's not what it is. Biblical faith is not a leap in the dark. Biblical faith is a response to what God has revealed, trusting him even though we don't see everything that he said is true. Biblical faith is not a leap in the dark. It's a response to the light. It is a being honest. Sometimes we, our culture will say, you know what? Some people are just mystical. They have a bent towards religion, and so they're believers. And other people don't. We just let everybody be. No, God says that's a big pack of lies. He says everybody knows. Every human being. From the jungles of New Guinea to the cities of China, even to Carbonado, everybody knows <laughs> that God is there. I'm kidding. I pick on Carbonado. I got stuck on that. But anyway, yeah. Faith is a test of my honesty. In his 2011 article, Unreasonable Doubt, Jim Spiegel quotes two giants of contemporary atheism, 
who finally and ultimately admitted their hidden agenda. Thomas Nagel, you may recognize that name, authored a popular introduction to atheism, but he wrote in his blog, I want atheism to be true. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and I'm hoping I'm right. The truth is I'm hoping there is no God because I don't want there to be one. I don't want the universe to be ruled by a judge. Mortimer Adler, who was quietly baptized into Christian faith at the age of 81 shortly before his death, but spent a lifetime authoring defenses of atheism, confessed to rejecting the Christian faith for most of his life because, in his words, quote, I knew it would require a radical change in my life, a basic alteration of my day-to-day choices and the ultimate objectives of my life. The simple truth of the matter is I did not wish to live up to being a genuinely religious person. Friends, we know God is there. Atheism and agnosticism, agnosticism means we can't know, nobody knows, so nobody can know. God says those are lies. Those are fundamental dishonesties. And anybody who practices them, God says, hey, I'm upset with that because you know better. I know you know better. And what I'm asking you is just to come to grips with that, just to be honest about that, just to be real about that. So God says, Greg, If you're not going to be honest with yourself, I'm going to be angry about that because I am a father. You know, when my teenage son lied to me, I didn't love him less. But I wasn't willing to let him persevere in his lie because no prison is so inescapable as the one we build for ourselves. So God says, hey, this is self-evident. And then Paul goes on to say, and the ability to deceive ourselves grows when we refuse to worship the God we know is there. Look at verses 21 and following. He says, For although they knew God, as we just saw, although God is self-evident, although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. They didn't worship Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. There's that word again and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles and all sorts of created things. The implication is all sorts of created things. You see, church, here's what God is telling us. My ability to think clearly depends on my being honest with the reality that God is there and then also being honest enough to give thanks and glorify Him, to worship Him, to know that I'm made, that my wife is made that I live in a world God created, that every food, meal I receive comes ultimately from the hand of God, that every breath I breathe comes ultimately from the hand of God. And it's only when I'm honest enough to admit that and then respond to God in worship, that is what enables me to think clearly. That is what enables me to integrate my heart and mind in a good, honest, wise way. Clear thinking depends on worship. This is because worship is a kind of honesty. Worship reboots your head and heart. That's what it does, kind of clears the cash and sets you back up the way you're supposed to be. God sets aside one day in seven for worship in my life and yours because we need it. We need to remember that we are made, blessed, sustained, and graced by God. And we need to remember who he is, which means listening to him in his word and watching his son and receiving and believing in his gospel truth. We've all felt it. If, if you've been church for any length of time, you know that sometimes you have to drag yourself here. Somebody say amen. <laughs> yeah, sometimes we do, right? But, but when we do, we always walk away going, boy, I needed that. I'm glad that happened. Wow, why do I feel so different after I worship? Because God says that worship enables me to think clearly, to be honest. And so God calls us to it. You know what? Rhonda's been gone to Uganda for these last three and a half weeks, and and we text and talk to each other multiple times every day. And you know what? I'm kind of embarrassed about the quality of our conversation, all right? If you looked at my phone and watched our text, it'd be like me telling her what the dog did and her telling me about some silly thing in the bathroom and then me telling her, yeah, it's still raining here. And then her saying, well, we don't have any rain here. It's sunshine. You're like, can't you find something? But what's actually happening in our conversation is we are continually reminding each other, hey, I can't wait for you to get back. I can't wait to be together again. I'm thinking about you. I'm about you. We're in this together. 
And that's what worship does in our relationship with God. It continually reminds us. He's seeking us. He wants us. He loves us. It continually reminds us that we can respond to that, that we can surrender all to him because that thrills him, because that sets us free. You get the idea. It becomes an ongoing thing. What would happen if for a week and a half I just refused to text my wife? She'd start going, what's up? What's going on? Is your phone broke? Why aren't we talking about the weather and the traffic and the dog? And in a very real way, that's how it is with worship. Friends, please understand, you've heard me say this before. You'll hear me say it again. The most important and powerful thing we do when we come together is not listen to Pastor Greg preach. That's a distant second. The most important thing is our worship because it resets our heart, because it resets our mind, because it reboots our spirit. It brings us back into that ability to think, to act, to know clearly. And, and, and by the way, this, this is why giving is such an important part of our, our Christian discipleship. It keeps us grounded in God's truth and our dependence in his faithfulness. This is why Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's why he says no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and despise, I love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. One's got to be in charge of the other and you got to choose. All of that, again, enables us to think clearly, enables us to feel clearly. And worship keeps us from being deceived to our own harm. Look at what Paul goes on to say, verses 26 to 29, kind of as we turn into the home stretch. He says, because they don't worship and their thinking is futile and their hearts are darkened, here's what he says happens. He says, therefore, God gave them over, people who don't worship, people who are dishonest, gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They lose the ability to say no to bad appetites. He says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who's forever praised. Amen. And he, he drives this home. He says, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones, the same way the men abandoned natural relations with women and flamed with lust for one another. It's just another example of sexual immorality. And he says, all of that happens. We begin to believe that's where we'll find our satisfaction, our joy. That's where we'll find ourselves because we've lost the honesty that enables us to worship and remember who we are. Paul says the consequence of not worshiping because we're dishonest is, is tremendous, it's catastrophic. He says, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, to, to pay attention to who he is, to remember who he is, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done, and they've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. People say, what's wrong with the world? It's not this law or that leader or this government. What's wrong with the law is that our hearts are dishonest with God and it leads to every kind of wickedness. Sin is our problem. Sin is our problem. And it begins with that, that dishonesty. God gave them over means he let them do what they want. You've done this sometimes with your kids. You've said, hey, if that's what you think, go ahead, but you're not going to like it. God is acting in a father heart when he says, if you're going to insist on being a knucklehead, I'm going to let you experience those consequences. I did it with my son. You do it with your kids. Sometimes my wife does it with me. It works the same every way, all the way around. He does this like a father. And his goal is that we would get honest again, that we would turn back, that we would remember and repent. I remember when Isaiah was a middle schooler and he was just sort of getting into online computer gaming. He had his buddies. They wanted to go online and run around and do their little cartoony stuff. And so he had his own computer in his room. And I said, son, listen to me. Pay attention to me. What I'm saying to you is for your own good. Don't download anything without checking with me first. Do not click on that thing that says this will help. Don't do that. And don't open emails. And don't do any of this stuff. And don't give away your password. And I said, son, don't do it. Don't do it. I'm telling you, don't do it. You know what he did, right? He did it, right? He downloaded some of that stuff. And then the day came when his computer just locked up and wouldn't work. Dad! And I said, <laughs> I told you. But, 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 I told you. But I didn't stand over you and control every click because you've got to learn to do that for yourself. So I gave you over to the consequences of your actions. Now, you know, we're going to have to deal with those. We're going to have to solve that. It's the same, very same thing. It's a father spirit. And then Paul goes on to say the consequence of all this, he gives a list, friends, we're almost done, that could perfectly describe our culture today. We are experiencing as a culture, as a society, we are experiencing the consequences of dishonesty and non-worship. 
Paul lays it out. He says this. They have become full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They become gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those things, but also approve of those who practice them. All that horror comes from that simple dishonesty, which leads to a refusal to worship and then utter chaos. Friends, your goodness and mine depend on us honestly worshiping God regularly and humbly. And that's our hope in this world. We take it for granted today that we, we need fruits and vegetables for a healthy diet, but as recently as just about 100 years ago, people didn't know that. In 1915, our nation was ravaged by a disease called pellagra that killed 40% of the people who contracted it. Awful disease. And so what that translates in is literally hundreds of thousands of people were dying every year. And people said that it was an infectious disease caused by people living unhygienically and then infecting one another. And if the poor would wash themselves, this disease would go away. Dr. Joseph Goldberger and his associate George Wheeler knew better. And they were so desperate to prove otherwise that they publicly injected themselves with pellagra-tainted blood to prove that it wasn't infectious. You got it from your diet, specifically from the things missing from your diet. And after that public display that it wasn't infectious, they got permission from the state of Mississippi to take charge of the diets of all the penitentiaries in the state of Mississippi, which previously were feeding them a regular diet of pork fat, maple syrup, and cornbread day in and day out. The doctor said, no, here, here's the thing. We're going to write up your budget. Your food's going to cost a tenth as much. We're going to feed them salads, green vegetables, lots of fruit, and fresh meat. And within the course of a year, the rate of pellagra in the Mississippi State Penitentiaries totally died. That's why you and I know today that we need to eat our fruits and vegetables. It all flowed out of that moment. Suddenly, the government was talking about it, and we all understood it to this day. In the same way, we need to worship. It's what makes the spirit whole and healthy. And the honesty that leads to worship, to say, God, I know you're there. I know you're good. And I know I sometimes haven't been. That simple honesty changes the whole ballgame. That's the gospel that Paul's going to get into. Like a father, God seeks to save me from me. And it begins with my honesty about God and myself. Let me share with you very briefly this gospel that he's going to explain. We're going to get through it as we go. But if you're old enough, you remember something called the Roman road. That's all I'm going to do is I'm going to share the Roman road with you. It goes through Romans, and it goes like this. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. Raise your hand if you're one of all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then Romans 6, 23, the first half of the verse says, The wages of sin, what happens because of sin, the wages of sin is death in all its various forms, the heart, the mind, the body, the spirit, you name it. The wages of sin is death. But here's the upside, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Notice the word gift. It's freely given to whoever's honest. Again, when my son was a teenager, I didn't insist that he get everything right forever immediately. No, but I wanted him to be honest. Dad, I was wrong. Dad, I screwed up. Dad, I messed up. That, I shouldn't have done that. I wanted him to be honest. I knew if he would be honest, I could steer him through the other stuff. In the same way, God seeks our honesty. And then Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you'll be saved. I need a Savior. God, I receive your Son as that Savior. That's the gospel. It's so simple and so powerful. See, honesty has that kind of power in our lives when we're honest with God. I'm going to share two short stories, and we're going to be done this morning. The first story I have permission to share, some of us know it. If you've been around here 10, 12 years at MRCC, you know this story. 
I have permission to share it. What happened was about 10, 12 years ago, our, our church secretary was moving to another state, her and her family, and so she let us know, hey, I'm going to be leaving. So we said, okay, we've got to find a new church secretary. So, you know, we put out the word, and hey, would you like to apply to be interviewed to, to be our church secretary? And some sweet folks uh, applied, pillars of the church, great people, eight or nine. So I scheduled some interviews and started doing interviews. Good, good people. Any one of them would have been great. But about half the way through this list of people I'm interviewing, there comes this name I don't know. <laughs> Who's that? I don't, I don't recognize that name. And a person came into my office, and I sort of recognize their face. Yeah, I've seen them there. And um, we started our interview, and I'm thinking, well, I don't know who this is. I don't have enough background to have trust, you know. I'm not sure that, but I'm going to be polite and appropriate. We're going to go through this interview. And so I started asking questions. Tell me about this, that. And five minutes into the interview, she held up her hand. She said, Pastor Greg, before we go any further, I just need to tell you something. She said, um, I, I just I have to be honest with you. She said, I need you to know that, that me and my husband are just six months clean from heroin. We, we just got out of prison in Texas, both of us. We moved up here in order to restart our lives. We know we need to build our foundation on Christ, but we're still figuring out how to do that. And so I, I just need you to know that that's the reality about our lives. Now, I know when I tell you that, there's absolutely no chance that I'll ever get hired as your secretary, but I can't stay clean and sober. I can't go forward unless I'm honest with everybody about everything. So I got to tell you that. I guess maybe this interview's over. You know what happened? I sat back in my chair and I said, hired. Right now. We're done. You're hired. Why? Because that kind of honesty is the ball game in God's eyes. She went on to serve our church wonderfully. Both her and her husband grew up very involved, did a million things, and eventually they moved and they live in another state now, and I have permission to share Courtney's story. You see, that's how powerful honesty is. That's how precious honesty is. When I told her she was hired, she was blown away. I thought you would send me away. No, 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 no. That's what we're looking for. That's what God's looking for. And that's what he's looking for in your life and in my life as well. I used to ask you this morning, are you honest with him? Do you argue with him and say, well, my sexual immorality is okay because we have these extenuating circumstances. God, I don't want to give you charge of my financial world because blah, 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 blah. God, I don't want to commit myself to my local church because I need to remain a free agent, keep people at a distance, and blah, 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 blah. Are you honest with them? Maybe you're saying, God, I'm not really sure you're there. Stop it. You know better. And your father's just asking you to be honest about it. It's where the whole thing begins. That's the gospel. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me this morning. And maybe you've never gotten that honest with God. You're sitting here and you've sort of been riding the fence and pretending you don't know what you do know. He's seeking you right now. He loves you. And like a father, what he's asking is only that you'd be honest. Only that you would admit to yourself, to him, that you know he's there. That you know he's good. That you know you've done wrong. The minute you admit that, like any good parent, God pulls you near, puts his hand on your shoulder and says, you're mine, my daughter, my son. And he can do that for you in this moment if you'll be honest with him. Maybe you need to. Maybe you need to do that right now. It's between you and him. He hears your heart. Just tell him. Maybe you've been honest with him, but along the line, you allowed worship to just not be important. To be a, a once in a while thing that you half-heartedly give yourself to. God says, no, 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 that'll, that'll mess up your thinking. That'll make your thinking futile. That'll darken your heart. Because I'm your father, you need to pay attention to me. You need to remember who I am. You need to hear my love for you. That happens in worship. Maybe you need to confess your need to put worship back at the center of your life again. Go ahead. He can hear you. God, we thank you for your word. And, and we thank you for your heart that like a good father only asks us to be honest. 
God, help us to do just that, that we might be set free from the madness that infects our world. We pray for that. Thank you for your word that challenges us. Help us to be honest with you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, friends? Nudge your neighbor if they drifted off. Let them know we're winding up here. Yeah. Honesty is that powerful. In your today. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this day. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon.